Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Brian Schmidt for Mutant Football League, which is the spiritual successor to EA's Mutant League Football, which came out for the Genesis in 1993. By the way, Brian also scored that one back in 93. So Brian has been in game audio for more than 30 years. That's a long time. Uh, and he's done it all with regards to game audio, really. Uh, composition, implementation, I mean, whatever. He's, he's done it all. And he's also been an important advocate and mentor in the community. Um, Brian has been the president of the Game Audio Network Guild for about 10 years. He runs a fantastic convention out in L.A. each fall. Uh, for game audio professionals, it's called Game Sound Con. It's one of my absolute favorite cons to attend, um, and it is hybrid, so attend online if you can't in person. But it's an absolutely fantastic con that he's been doing for many years uh, over in LA in the fall. It's in October this year, and for the first time ever, a Grammy award will be given next year. It's in February, like always. A Grammy Award will be given f uh, for a video game score. This is something Brian's been working on for years, and many in the in the game audio industry have been working on for years. And it finally happened. So uh, there are very important rules with regards to how you submit a score for a Grammy Award. And Brian has just all the information about how to accomplish submitting your music. That deadline is, uh, well, I think it's today, actually. Uh, so make sure you're on top of submitting your score for uh, the first ever video game soundtrack Grammy, because as Brian says, someone in February will take home that very first ever Grammy award for a video game score. That's absolutely fantastic. So those, these are some of the things that Brian and I talk about in this episode of Level with Emily. You'll find a video of our chat up on YouTube. Please do subscribe to that channel to keep up with our videos. You can join us on Discord to talk about this and other episodes. That doesn't cost a thing. Please join us there. And also, uh, do become a patron if you're able to support us financially. We would greatly appreciate that. All right. Well, here is Brian. I'm Brian Schmidt. I've been doing game music and sound for just over 35 years now. Amazing. Back from the arcade games and those old 16-bit consoles um, through Xbox and, and so on. Um, I also founded um, a conference called Game Sound Con which has actually apparently grown to be the largest professional game audio conference uh, that there is, which has been kind of fun. Yeah. It's been interesting these last couple of years with, uh, with COVID and whatnot. But um, Is it a hybrid this year again? Yes. Well, last year we were online only. The year before we were online only. Okay. Um, yeah, last time we were in person was 2019. Okay. And this is always in the fall, so it's in October this year? Yeah, we're October yeah. 25th and 26th this year, uh, yeah. yeah, typically in the fall. I've kind of settled into downtown L.A. Love as it. to where it is, which is a nice a nice place. It's, it's the old Biltmore Hotel, which is this big old hotel that they film a lot of movies at, and it's got all this kind of cool history from Prohibition and whatnot, so it's, uh, it's kind of a, a fun vibe. But yeah, we're hybrid for the first time this year, so people can attend either remotely or in person. Yeah, there's nothing quite like in person, but what surprised me with going the last couple of years is um, that Game Sound kind of actually was pretty fun, even as an online-only thing. Mm -hmm. I was actually very pleasantly surprised. What um, do you think made that made that work in that way? 
well, you know, first and foremost, it's all the speakers, right? The the, the stuff that people talk about. It's just uh, you know, we last year we had um, we started doing something that's called a, a company deep dive, where we would get you know multiple talks from one company. And so last year we had a you know riot do a deep dive. I think they had four, maybe even five talks. Where here's how we do music. Here's how we do sound design. Here's how we do tech. Here's how we do dialogue. So uh, that's kind of fun. Um, this year we have kind of a, a deep dive on Ratchet and Clank. Nice. We've got multiple talk because it's such a great sounding game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got multiple talks about uh, you know from the sound sound design team. At Sony there for that. So, um, yeah, I think it comes down to the speakers, right? When you have a lot of really passionate people talking about stuff that they love to do and they love to share it, that's kind of where it, where it all comes from. Yeah. And it's always been such a strong and vibrant and supportive community, too. And that's, I think, one of the things that I noticed right away the very first time I ever went to GameSoundCon, which I can't even remember what year that was now. I'd have to look at my stack of badges. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I just... Uh, that's the thing that I, uh, one of my favorite things about the game audio community is the support that, that that's there, you know, the willingness to share tricks and things that you've learned and mentorship and just all the things around that community that I felt so strongly when I was uh, the times that I have been to GameSoundCon. It's, it's a really great community. Yeah, the game audio community is pretty cool like that. I've always thought that one of the reasons for that was what we do is sort of so niche and there's so much stuff behind the scenes that even as a you know maker of linear audio you know a film or tv audio producer it's just not intuitive you have to do all this stuff (laughs) and we're finally in a room where we have people who kind of understand what we do and we get to talk about it that we just can't shut up Talking, it's like, hey, finally, a group of people who understand what we do and why this interesting way of handling the dynamic sword swing power ups is such a hard thing to do. Yeah. And now I can share, you know, how we did that. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> has, has the lineup for Game Sound Con been announced? Uh, it's not been formally announced, although literally just a couple of days ago, I finally populated the website. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, as like I said, the the card table with the post-it notes uh, kind of came together uh, in the last couple weeks. Love that. Yeah. So, um, And so what has the attendance grown to? Do you know? um, It's, it's, again, you know, COVID just threw a total monkey wrench into everything. Right Right up to 2019. 2019, we had about 450. Oh, wow. And we had about 15 to 20% year-on-year growth. Uh, attendance in person for the several years before that leading up to that and then of course COVID hit and it's like yeah yeah Um, amazing but online when we went online we had uh, well over a thousand oh man no kidding um, yeah wow so uh, it'll be interesting to see what it's like this year I know a lot of people are very anxious to kind of get back in person again, but yep. you know, people are still slightly worried. A little in the back of my mo- their mind, what's going to go on? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not quite sure what to expect. But yeah. uh, I mean, the fact that you had a thousand when it was online only definitely speaks to the need for such a conference, right? Like people want to participate in these kinds of things, and you know, clearly some people just can't because of the travel involved. So what a right. wonderful opportunity. Yeah, it definitely lowers the barrier when you don't have to, you know, get an airplane ticket and, yeah. you know, fly from 
Portugal yeah. uh, or something like that. Because we have a lot of international uh, mm -hmm. attendees. So, sure. so in, that, in that sense, it was nice. And that's why we're trying out hybrid this year. It's like, cool. Love it. Which is, slightly, which is simultaneously exciting and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the um, margin of error it kind of expands a little when you're involving so much tech to, to get something right. going, right? Yeah. All it takes yeah. is one. That was the most you know interesting thing about doing it online. Cause the online conference, I kind of ran from here. Wow. I have, Amazing. I have a little photo somewhere of like, you know, nine or 10 screens yep. running where I've got, you know, four simultaneous sessions and monitoring real time chats and live streaming of the videos that the presenters created. And, you know, I'm thinking, but all it would take would be a power outage and uh, <laughs> blow a fuse or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually, since then, I actually, partly because of Game Sound Constance, the first one, I put in solar with whole house battery backup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of as a, uh, yeah. you know, and even then, I, 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 I bought a little generator just and I measured the power usage of all the computers Amazing. that I was using to run it. So, um, so the, yeah, the, yeah, one little one little tech point can send the whole thing right. off. But, but when you're in person, it's it's a little bit more uh, more flexible. Yeah, yeah. But we are we are pushing the built more's tech uh, tech a little bit. Um, <laughs> they they had a big tech upgrade a few years ago, but I'm not sure. We've got six concurrent live streams. Oh wow! We're going to be running uh, okay. from California. So awesome. Well, it's just such a wonderful time, and uh, I look forward to this year very much. And it's just fantastic. I tell people about it all the time just because GDC is one thing because it's industry people, right? Mm -hmm. So you're surrounded with your colleagues, which is great. But narrowing it down to the audio uh, folks is – it's just – yeah, I just I just love the community. I say that all the time. I'm like the community of GameSoundCon <laughs> is the best. So, oh, oh so, thanks. Yeah. I, I think and it's it's something that people, especially people coming from film. I, I've never done film seriously. I like, you know, I assisted on a couple industrial films back when I was in college, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not a film person. But most yeah. film composers and film sound designers, um, you know, basically their their message are, you know, it's pointless to network with composers. You want to network with directors. And that yeah. makes sense. I get that. But in games, it's totally different. Right. In games, there's not that sort of magical person who is the director so much, mm -hmm. um, you know, where you have the, that connection between film director and film composer. Um, right. The person who, who's going to pick the composer for Call of Duty is probably audio director yeah. Or audio director in conjunction with a game designer. And that person is themselves a current or former composer. Right. I think like, you know, Paul Lipson of, you know, senior exec VP at Formosa. Yep. Um, hires lots of people who hire composers. You know, he's a composer. Right. Um, so today in games, today's, you know, friendly competitor in the composing space. Tomorrow is the audio director at Blizzard. Right. <laughs> um, and now is in the person who's the seat of somebody doing the hiring. So networking within the industry, I think, is, is really important. That's, that's yeah. Uh, GDC is awesome for networking out. And I right. think GameSoundCon is a little bit better for, for networking in. Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, you know, you, you bring a good point that, that there is an audio director, you know, rather than like a music supervisor on a film or something like that. You know, the audio director in games, it seems like the, 
the Foley and sound effects and UI, all of those sounds need to work with the music in a different way than that happens in film. You know, you don't, I don't think of um, those departments as being quite as intertwined. And maybe they are, and I'm just wrong. But it seems like in games, the all of the ambient sound, all of that also has to be working with the music in a way that doesn't necessarily achieve uh, in, in film, you know, does that make sense? Do you think? Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think they do. I mean, um, I was on a panel with Alan Howarth. Um, actually I think it was a GDC panel a number of years ago. Okay. And he was talking about when he was doing this, cause he did the sound design for like the six Star the first Star Trek films. Okay. Um, and he was saying there was this one scene on if you're a Star Trek nerd, it was on the Genesis planet, nice. um, where there's all these lava and earthquakes and rumblings. And so um, he actually called up the composer and said, hey, I'm working on this scene. You know, I'm probably going to have a lot of low end okay, uh, with all these rocks. And, you know, the composer's like, okay, no string basses or timpani there. Not a problem. I'll leave the low end for you. So yeah. it happens a, a little bit in film, but in games, yeah, you, you don't know when that the, the lava is earthquake is going to happen. And so right. now you get into these weird interactive mixing techniques where, okay, let's EQ down the string bases and the low percussion only when that sound effect is happening. And that's kind of the craziness that we do in sound design, mm -hmm. you know? So, but I think, so I think you're right. I think it has to be a lot more integrated yeah. discipline yeah. Uh, because the, the elements interact off of each other, Yeah, you know, especially, especially in a modern, um, you know, the kinds of things that, uh, you know, I'm thinking back like the, the interactive mixing stuff that Overwatch was doing and mm -hmm. prior, priority-based yeah. mixing and stuff. How do you stay on top of all of the things that are happening? Do you think that's just because of, you know, the network of people that you know that, you, that you're in tune with what Overwatch is doing? Because I'm assuming, Brian, that you're not sitting there playing Overwatch every night yourself. So <laughs> No. Um, <laughs> uh, part, part of, you know, part of it, frankly, is, you know, it's been a kind of cool byproduct of Game SoundCon is that sure. I get to see all of, you know, what are, right, I'm looking forward to seeing the Ratchet and Clank talk. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to see John Everest talk about how he, because he, he just got back from Abbey Roads and he's going to talk about how he does his recording, knowing that it's going to be implemented in a certain way in the interactive music engine. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing John's talk. And yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's certainly part of it. Um, I, I do some teaching part time too, uh, so I try to kind of keep up on what what's out there and uh, what are the tools doing, what's the industry doing. And you're also president of the Game Audio Network Guild, which I'm sure informs you in yeah, many that's, ways that's a, as well. <laughs> a, a different hat. That, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute because the Game Audio Network Guild has been around for 20 years. How long have yep. you been president? Uh, about 10 of that. Wow. So it's it's been a while. Yeah. And you were one of the founders, right? Way back in the uh, day. Um, yeah. I was on the, uh, there was like a founding board group. I, I wasn't at the very, very original. The, the original concept of it was I know you had George Sanger on recently. Yep. Um, uh, Tommy Tallarico was at George Sanger's conference the, called um, Project Barbecue. Yeah. And that's where they came up with this idea of, hey, we should have an organization. Um, mm -hmm. So I wasn't at that, but uh, pretty shortly after, I think I was at Microsoft at the time, okay. and so they wanted you know some some corporate Microsoft person on it or something. <laughs> um, 
Well, yeah, that's so that's um, yeah, we do the big award show every year. Uh, we do lots of we used to do lots of live events. Now we're doing a combination of live and and hybrid events, um, and kind of just trying to push uh, the industry forward in, in various ways. Um, and again, it's it's like kind of curating the community in a way too, you know, or maybe not curating, but looking after and caring for, and like keeping people involved together in this thing, you know? Yeah, again, it, it's like you were saying about the community before the Game Audio community. One of the things we do with uh, Game Audio Network Guild, we have the, the thing called the Gang Scholars Program where we, uh, you know, we take applications and we, you know, pick five students and we'll send them to GDC or send them to Game Sound Con um, and then pair them up with, you know, somebody like Austin Wintory or Panka Guniva or Tom Salta, you know, some some of the very, very top uh, people in the industry for sort of from mentorship and kind of, you know, help them answer their questions or help them get the most out of their networking contacts at the conference. So, yeah, it's kind of a, an opportunity for people who have been in the industry for a while to get back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, very much so. What's coming up for Gang right now? Because I know the awards thing was a couple months ago, and so maybe you're in a little bit of a taking a, taking a break, well, so to speak, or... <laughs> um, there are a couple. One thing that's very exciting is, uh, of course, there's a new Grammy category this year. Right. So yes. uh, that that goes back a ways. Um, You've been working on that for it, a long time. The first I got involved with it was in 1999. I got a call from Chance Thomas, mm-hmm. um, another composer, because mm-hmm. he was uh, a game composer, uh, a film composer. He's uh, you know he wrote uh, he scored an Academy Award winning short. Uh, called Chub Chub. So he's, he's no slouch. Right. Um, and he was like, hey, we're trying to show Neris that game music isn't chip tunes anymore. Yeah. And so uh, he got a group of about 10 of us together. I, I believe George was there actually. And we were, you know, hey, here's what game music is now. Here's some examples of it. Uh, we played some stuff for Leslie Ann Jones. I remember this. This was at Dolby headquarters. Uh, in San Francisco, because at the time there was a Grammy for best score soundtrack for film and television. Okay. So games weren't even eligible. Right. And, um, you know, we chatted and they, they sort of gave this a perspective. And a couple of years later, they added the words and other visual media to the film, television, and other visual media category. So our lobbying, after two years of effort, landed four more words in the category. So that was kind of funny. And then at that time, that meant that a, a game soundtrack would be in the same category as, you know, soundtrack for Apollo 13, the movie, or Harry Potter or something like that. Right. Um, and that was the, the category that Austin Wintory was nominated for back in 2012 mm-hmm, uh, for, for the score for Journey. Mm-hmm. And I, if I recall, he lost out to the soundtrack for the movie, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And that's the way it was for a while. And then a couple years ago, some other folks picked up the ball and it's there. They, hey, you know, Ner- you know, I say Naris, it's the Recording Academy. They don't go by Naris anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they went back to the Academy, brought them up to date, you know, showed them some of the amazing work that people are doing. And they're like, yeah, you're right. There should be a category. This is a unique form uh, of musical expression for a, a piece of art. And so this year, for the first time in February, there will be the best score soundtrack for video games and other other interactive media 
Incredible. presented mm -hmm. uh, at the Grammys in February. And uh, the reason I mentioned this in the context of gang is that one of the things we as gang have been doing is working very, very closely with the Academy to try and um, make sure that people's score soundtracks are in fact submitted and they know how to do it. There's a little bit of a chicken and egg sometimes with the Grammys where in order to submit for the Grammy, you have to be a member right. of the Recording Academy. And the membership window is like in the winter. So what that means in the since they announced the category, there are a lot of game composers who are not members of the Recording Academy and therefore couldn't submit their soundtracks. Right. But so what um, the Game Audio Network Guild did is we worked with the Recording Academy to register ourselves as a media company, which means that gang now can enter score soundtracks to be eligible for a Grammy. And so we've had composers who are not part of the Academy say, hey, I, how do, you know, I released my soundtrack for my game that came out this year. Can you submit it for us? And so we've been facilitating that. So are individual composers then responsible for themselves to do that? Or are you and anyone else like thinking, oh man, you know, that it takes two soundtrack was great. Let's submit it, for instance. Or, or is it really, it's up to individuals? Uh, it's the, the way that um, the policy gang is taken is we will only submit a soundtrack to the Grammys on behalf of somebody who is authorized or sure. associated with the soundtrack itself. So we wouldn't say, say random fan wants to submit the soundtrack for the Grammys. We won't do that. Gotcha. But the composer, the art, the, the developer, the designer, the publisher, we would okay. do that. Uh, do you have any kind of sense for uh, how many submissions you'll have? Um, we've been we've been steadily submitting them, and if history uh, is any guide, we'll get most of them like the last couple of days before the deadline. Yeah, yeah. Are we talking dozens here? Do you think? Or I think I think there will be probably yeah. dozens of submissions. Yeah. The, yeah, Naris does have a rule: you have to have a certain amount of submissions of any category for it to exist as a category. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it's like thirty-five or forty or something like that. But, okay. Wow. And the nice thing too is, as a um, you know, one of the things Naris, sorry, the Recording Academy, yeah. old, old habits die hard. They're, yes, they do. Um, <laughs> one thing the Recording Recording Academy does pride itself on is recognizing excellence in music, whether it's, you know, a giant session recorded at Abbey Road for a blockbuster game, or, you know, an, like, like Hades, you know. It's not right. eligible because it came out uh, too early, but, you know, a, an awesome little indie soundtrack. It, it's it's kind of right. like the way they, they want to recognize the great bedroom laptop singer-songwriter yeah. They want to re also recognize excellence as, you know, an indie developer with an indie composer who put out their soundtrack for their quirky indie game. Right, right. So definitely trying to encourage people to submit. Mm -hmm. Don't be intimidated by like, oh, I'm never going to win against, you know, Call of Duty or Destiny 2 or something like that. No, go ahead and submit. You know, you never know. You'll land a nomination or maybe even a win. Amazing. That's so fantastic. Grammys are always in February, so make yep, sure you yeah, first week in February. Watch him. <laughs> yeah, watch them. Watch uh, somebody will be the first take home the first Grammy for best sound score soundtrack for video games or other interactive media this year. 
that's going to be pretty, pretty, and what a remarkable achievement to finally have that happen. I mean, it's, you know, we all, of course, say it's long overdue, but it, it's happened and I'm grateful for that. It's going to be really exciting. Right. Yeah. The, um, well, you, you know, better than anybody, right? Game music fans are very passionate fans. They are. Yeah. Um, and right, people listen to soundtracks for games. It, it takes them back to playing of the game. It's mm -hmm. a, There's something about the active experience of playing a game combined with the music that people really, really love. You know, there were live video game concerts before there were live movie concerts. I just went to a show last night. I just went to... Uh, um uh, there's a bar in Minneapolis called Ice House, and it was just a, a group of people, um, and they invited anyone with an instrument, come on up and play. I mean, it was great. It oh, was wow. Very talented musicians playing, you know, old Nintendo tunes, Zelda stuff, mm -hmm. um, Mario stuff, and it was fantastic. Right. And, of course, people playing Smash Brothers on the side. Yes. I mean, yep. uh, and I, I am... Compared to when I started talking about all this in 2011, the fact that that's so normal now, like it's so normal in Minneapolis for there to be some right. kind of little game music concert somewhere. I just, I love that. It's, it's right. really you, great. Yeah, you all had a, a game music conference a couple of years back. We do. You, we do yeah, have one. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's called VGM Con. And v, right. VGM Con. Yeah. So much fun. Like so much fun. Yeah, they were there last night too. So I got a chance oh, okay. to see Thomas, the founder. And yep. um, it's, I mean, next to Game Sound Con, and I've been saying this for years, like those two are my jams. Like those yeah. cons are just so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, VGM Con is awesome. It's in April. So it's not ideal Minneapolis weather, but it could, <laughs> it could be worse usually. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, um, and then Magfest is back, right? I mean, Magfest took off exponentially yeah. as well. Oh, it's again, the, you know, people just love mm -hmm. playing, yep. playing video game music. Yep, and writing it too. Brian, do you write much these days? Are you composing much? I I, I do some. Yeah, I um, okay. you know, the, the early part of my career, I, I was doing I was doing like twenty five games a year or something like that, yeah. like for the Genesis and Super Nintendo and arcades and stuff like that. Um. These days, I'm audio director uh, for a company called Digital Dreams Entertainment that does a, a game called Mutant Football League. Sorry, Mutant League. Yeah, Mutant Football League. I, I get back in 1993. I did a game for Electronic Arts called Mutant League Football. <laughs> Full circle, um, Brian. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a Sega Genesis title. Uh, yeah, they made a cartoon out of it and everything. It was, it was pretty fun. Oh, the same developer contacted me like five years ago and said, "Hey." I'm rebooting the franchise as Mutant League Football. Sorry, Mutant Football League. Okay. <laughs> so the EA's was Mutant League Football. This is Mutant Football League. Love it. Uh, so it's a spiritual successor. So I've been having a lot of fun writing. Um, I'm doing some uh, the sound design, uh, oh. writing teams for the various themes. I do some licensing in of music. Uh, again, kind of for the, the different theme themes we... Mm -hmm. uh, we're just starting to work on Mutant Football League Two. Uh, we just, just we just wrapped up some DLC for this year uh, for the for original, and we're working hard on two for uh, next gen consoles and stuff. That's so fantastic. yeah, I'd keep my fingers in the pie there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's good. And um, doing the sound design too. What do you enjoy about that side of of game audio compared to the music side? Oh, I've always loved the, the sound design side. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just the 
the intricacy and complexity of, of things, right? I've got a lot of aliens bashing, right? Mutant Football League is aliens are playing football against each other. And so there's, you know, there are different races. There's, you know, yeah. orcs and aliens and robots and humans. And so just the complexity of the sounds when you want two aliens to bash into each other. Okay, this one is a robot alien with this strength. And this one is a werewolf one with this strength. And okay, I need... To have the tackle sound be the proper ratio of animal versus robotic, and so yeah, the the kind of I mean, it's so different. You know, back back when I was uh, doing lots of games, we were still pretty limited to what I like to call audio sprites, which is event would happen and you play a wave file, right? Or event would happen and you play a little MIDI sequence, a little fanfare. Um, you know, in pinball machines, I did a lot of, a lot of times the fanfares are little musical flourishes. But now it's very detailed, interactive foley. Uh, and so I just really enjoy the, the, that kind of puzzle of, okay, what piece of information are we going to grab from the game that will be a knob on this sound that controls the EQ level and the compression level of the low-end food of when they hit compared to the of the you know, the pads and the helmets and the teeth or something oh. like that. Yeah, yeah. And so are you implementing as well? Are you doing yeah. all the implementation? Neat. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That's a skill set that, you know, obviously some composers never have, <laughs> and that's fine. But also there are people like yourself in the industry who really can do it all, which is pretty pretty remarkable. Um, I guess over your 35 years... I mean, this is a little bit of a ridiculous question, but I still want to ask it. Like, what, what are, what have some of your favorite changes been? Like, you're like, oh my god, yes, we can do this now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, back when I started, it was very, very technical. Like, literally, I was hired at the pin. I started working at a company called Williams Electronic Games that made pinball machines and arcade games. And one of the reasons I was hired was literally because I could write a kind of computer language known as assembly language, okay, uh, which is like really, really, really low-level stuff. And so you had to be very technical in order to just make the thing, make things made noise. And so it gradually got a little bit better during the uh, the 16-bit console days. But you know, the fact that I could, if I wanted to have my audio system suddenly have you know have sound effects that were harmonized with the background music i could just write a little bit of code and now my system would do that mm -hmm. and so that was a, a big kind of advantage the big inflection point in games that was sort of the hallelujah moment was probably the playstation 2 and that was the time where games started shipping on dvds and that was really the first time where a composer could count on being able to say, yeah, I'm just going to record 90 minutes of music and have a chip with a game. You, some people say, oh, the PlayStation 1, you could do that because it was on compact disc. Um, I did a bunch of games for the early PlayStation and Sega Saturn at the time. And yeah, we would occasionally use the compact disc for music. But what happened is pretty quickly, game developers were like, whoa, I got 600 megabytes here. I can fill that up with full motion videos and um, a game I did the first time I did a game with like 3,000 lines of dialogue. The whole CD was basically dialogue <laughs> and then some game. You know, when the Madden for the uh, first PlayStation that I worked on, that was almost all 
Madden's dialogue. It was almost all commentary. Wow. So the music, with the exception of like about a minute and a half, was all synthesized on the little chip. So it really wasn't until the PlayStation 2 that things opened up. And that's when you had that, that was goodbye forever yeah. to the sound chip for the most part. Yeah. Um, because then everybody had the space to do what they needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the, you're, you're we were always fighting against memory and CPU. Sure. And we still fight against CPU, but memory became less of an issue. It, it's, it still is an issue. Although with the newest generation of consoles, that almost is going away completely right. with the PlayStation 5 and the, um, the Series X. But uh, yeah, so the less that the composers have to fight with tech, the more they can concentrate on music. And yeah, as, as you say, plenty of composers have never seen Wives, never seen FMOD, and don't need to. Right. Especially at the, the high-end space, right? If you're at a if you're at Activision, you're at Bungie, if you're at Blizzard, you know, you've got a team to right. support you. Yeah. But it's, it still very helps a lot to know what those tools are capable of, right? One of the things that Austin Wintry always brings to the game is he has this, you know, I know they say Hans Zimmer is very brilliant at watching a film and figuring out, okay, when should the music start? When should I stop it? When should I not have music? Yeah. I think Austin has this ability to see a game and figure out, okay, yeah, here's where the music will go. Okay, now here's this, how I will use the state of the game to influence what the music will sound like. And then I will know to compose and orchestrate my music to be able to be controlled in that kind of way. If you look at the kind of diagrams that he does when he maps out yeah. how he approaches the game score. Yeah. So you don't need to do the use the tools yourself necessarily, but it helps to be familiar with what they can do so that can influence your own composing. Right, right. The opportunities now are seemingly endless. <laughs> yeah. But I know there's still limitations, right? I mean, implementation is really tricky and nuanced, and um, it's still... I know that one of the thing Christopher, one of the things Christopher Eng talks about with his Elias engine is, mm -hmm. you know, trying to make things just that much more seamless and that much more uh, um, apparently linear, even if they're not, you know? Yeah, I always say our goal is to, you know, create, well, let's just stick with music, right? Create a score for a gameplay session when somebody plays it. And it's what it would have been if we had known ahead of time exactly what they were going to do. Right. If we can, and all of the stuff we do at GameSoundCon or GDC or tech research or implementation or meta sounds or Elias, it's all trying to reach that goal. How do you yeah. achieve the goal of creating music ahead of time for a scenario you, you're not sure the details on, <laughs> but making it sound like you knew what the details were all along? Yeah. And that's for me that that's kind of the fun part. Um, and the tools again have gotten very rich and very sophisticated. You know, we were talking about does a composer need to know these tools? I would say, obviously, at the top, no, yeah, but the farther and I don't want to, I don't want to say down in a, in a diminutive sense, right? But the lower the budget, the game, right? If you're working mm -hmm. on a game where you know maybe you're doing the music and some of the sound design, or you don't have a big audio team to support you. Being able to do more of that yourself can definitely uh, help. Um, and it opens up sort of this other career path. Right? I, was, I was just mentioning about Austin, how he works, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think he does the wise stuff himself, but that means somebody's got to do that. 
Right. The person who does that, you want them to be really musically literate yep. and very tech savvy. Mm -hmm. We actually have a name for it now in the industry. That's the technical sound designer. Oh, technical okay. sound designer takes stuff, assets created often by other people, puts them into these middleware tools, FMOD, Wise, Elias, Fabric, CRI, you know, there's all yeah. other ones out there. And may even also go so far as to reach into the game code and cause the sounds to happen in reaction to game events mm -hmm. or set up the occlusion and obstruction parameters. And yeah. how do you code the audio camera so that it sound effects sound natural when the player is moving around and turning their head back and forth. And mm -hmm. so it's a whole nother level of um, sort of technical skill that almost wasn't, it, it, it's almost like we've almost come full circle, right? When I started, you needed to be pretty darn technical for the most part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's why in the early days, most composers and sound designers were employees of the companies they worked for. You were a Nintendo employee or a Sega employee or a Namco employee or a Virgin employee or whomever. Mm -hmm. Once it got to the point where, like I was talking about with DVDs, okay, now we just need a composer who can give us great music from a studio, wow, there's a lot more of those than there are people who can write assembly language. Right. Um, and so the music got a lot better. Yeah. But the interactivity wasn't huge because it was kind yeah. of new. Yeah. Um, and then the tools got better and the engines got better. And now there's so much complexity to taking that stuff and hooking it into the game that now there is this new role, technical sound designer, which again is somebody who's very music savvy and has very deep technical skills. Right. And that's probably the best ticket into the industry right now is if you if you really want to do game audio and you're open to being more than just a uh, a composer only, then technical sound designer is is a really good way in. It's like learn those tools really well, teach yourself how to operate them in a game engine, which might mean, you know, you need to learn how to write some computer code either C++ or C# -sharp or this thing called blueprints. If you have those skills, you can, I don't want to say walk into a game company, but it it certainly will make your um, your resume stand out. I have a number of former DigiPen students who are technical sound designers, and most of them are the ones that um, took to the tech stuff really, really well. Sure. That's tremendously valuable advice because people always want to get into game sound, you know? I mean, that's that's right, really yeah. valuable insight into a, a different route other than just, you know, spamming, not spamming, but, or, you know, searching for right. games that need composers or something, you know, right. hone this other set of skills that can only, I would imagine, improve your own compositional skills too, or, yeah, or it, give it, you ideas. Yeah, there's a legitimate debate to be had, right? Because, you know, sure. if, if I've got, you know, four hours in my day for self-improvement, right? <laughs> I could spend that composing and I do that every day. I'll become a pretty darn good composer mm -hmm. if I'm composing four hours a day every day as personal growth. And you could say, oh, if I'm taking away time from that to go do the technical stuff, I could see, you know, that's a valid point, but... um Certainly in terms of the kinds of jobs there are, mm -hmm. having those technical skills. Again, there was a period where it didn't really matter. But the last right. the last few years, again, these these roles have popped up as as games have gotten again 
interactive game fully is just tremendously complex. Yeah. To yep. do it really, really well, to do a Ratchet and Clank or to do um, a Destiny 2, the, the, the detail and the nuance they put in. And it, it just shows. Yeah. Compared yeah. to like, again, when I was doing games, you know, something would happen, you play a wave file. Right. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's like super primitive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am a Destiny player, and I love the sound design in that game, and there are very specific sound effects that I look forward to hearing every time they mm -hmm. trigger. Um, but also, like you're saying, on the complete other end of the spectrum is something like Unpacking, right? Which had, right. you know, however many thousands of... 14,000. 14, yeah. sounds. And I mean, yeah. you know, I talked with Jeff and Angela Van Dyke about that for an hour and a half, and we could have talked for another hour and a half about all the work that they did in that game, and... Um, you know, it is. It's it's a very complex world with, I mean, just so many options for for amazing yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah, and and the other thing that kind of surprises people sometimes, like we're, you know, right? There's the sexy stuff, right? There's the orchestrate and compose and go to Abbey Road or Ocean yeah. View or whatever. That that's awesome. Yeah. In game audio, there's an awful lot of not so sexy stuff that is just critically important. And one of them is spreadsheets. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep track of 14,000 Foley sounds and unpacking without spreadsheets? And the answer is you don't. Right. Yeah, there's just no at way. Game, at GameSoundCon, boy, probably six or seven years ago, it was, in, I was, it was at the Biltmore, I remember, because I can picture it. We had an audio director's roundtable kind of to wrap up, wrap things up. I think there was uh, Paul Lipson and Christian Cleave and maybe Becky Allen and Russell Brower, maybe. I, you know. But, you know, if somebody asked their question, hey, you know, what piece of software should I learn if I want to get into game audio? And I think they were expecting them to say, oh, Pro Tools or Reaper or something. And everyone mm. was like, Excel, Excel, ex <laughs> right down the road. Oh, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> One of my favorite how I got into the three stories is a young woman, Monet Garnier. She was applying for a sound designer gig at EA Tiburon. And, you know, she had the interview. She got past that. She got past the second interview, did that. And they gave her a take-home sound design test over the weekend. Oh, cool. And, you know, there's some amount of, you know, putting sounds to pre-existing videos and stuff like that. One of them was this uh, spreadsheet test. I don't remember the details. It was, you know, she had to make Excel talk to a Microsoft Access backend. And, <laughs> and so she spent the weekend teaching herself how does Microsoft Access interface with Excel and so she could do this thing on the... And she was one of only two people who did that, finished that part of the test. And oh, she wow. got the gig and she's at 343 right now. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I did have uh, this... I mean, radio person, right? So obviously I'm not in the game industry and my technical skills would show that. Um, but I had a, a situation at a station I worked at where they're like, we need you to do this thing and make a spreadsheet. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I've never made a spreadsheet <laughs> in my whole life. I'm not starting now. It's just like, it's so funny how, uh, yeah, that's a really important skill. Maybe you you might even call it a life skill that I you know neglected yeah. to learn at some point was how <laughs> to make a spreadsheet. But yeah, it's for like driving a five speed or something like that. You got to know how to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, a former student of mine who was at EA. He's at EA now. Um, 
And again, something similar. He had for you know for this for a student project, he had a spreadsheet, you know, and you know, the spreadsheets used to track, okay, what sounds did I create? And have they been put in the game yet? Has the programmer put them in yet? And so on. And so he taught himself um, how to write the use the there's, there's a programming language associated with the Google Sheets. Okay. So you can write code to do it. And he wrote some code that whenever he changed the spreadsheet entry that he had checked in this new wise event he would create, like for a sound effect, it would auto, you know, it would change the color of the column, of course, but it would automatically send a Slack message to his team, wow. letting them know, hey, there's a new sound ready to be put in the game now. Amazing. So yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, little, little things like that. The um again, it gets back to sort of technical sound designer. Yes. One of the, there are a couple different things. And again, this is the unsexy bit of it. But if you want to get into the industry, it can be pretty useful. In games, we do things over and over and over and over again on a scale that movies just don't do. As, you know, dialogue, for example. A typical feature film will have maybe 1,500 lines of dialogue, maybe 1,800 if it's pretty long. Even my little mutant football league game, we're up to around 9,000 lines. <laughs> And a typical AAA game is in the high tens of thousands or sure. two, three hundred thousand lines of dialogue. And you yeah. just cannot manage those no. um, without uh, in deep spreadsheet. And also what we call batch processing, right? The idea is I'm going to do something and we're going to do it on these 3,000 other sounds too. Yep. And so to the extent that somebody on the sound team understands the isotope rx plugins they want to use and can write little bits of computer code to tell the computer hey go do this for me a thousand times yeah that's a super valuable skill for a a, a game sound designer to have because it makes everybody more productive yeah. the more, more productive you can be the more time you can actually spend doing the creative stuff and not the mechanical stuff right um, and uh, again, some of the things they have for dialogue are amazing. Where, because right? because people will make mistakes, right? You you can't manage a hundred thousand lines of dialogues and not make some mistakes, right? So they have systems set up now where the wave file in one column and the wise event in another column, and then the actual English sentence that is the line of dialogue in another column. And people have written things in the sound department have written things that say, well, as a verification, let me write some code that looks at the wave file in this column, uses Google speech to text to create a text version of it. And now let me compare that with the column that has what the, the script had to yeah. verify that it's all correct and nobody made a mistake. And <laughs> again, you know, film people don't have to do this. Right. But maybe they maybe maybe they do, um, but not at this scale. And then take those hundred thousand lines and translate them into twelve languages, please. Yes, exactly. With localization and proper With localization, colloquialism. And so, and, so the so the yeah. so the in jokes are translated yep. appropriately. Yeah, that's a yep. whole other discipline. Oh, that's a very different. Yeah, that's. I mean, it oh, just yeah. speaks to the massive world that audio encompasses, right? In in games, yeah. it's a huge, huge world with huge ramifications. Are you gaming much? I mean, what's the last game you played? Um, oh, that's going to be an embarrassing one. Um, <laughs> Is it? I still like to go out and play pinball. I that's kind would of assume. my. 
Um, that, that, that's where I started. That's when I was a kid. That's what my mom got mad at me for doing. <laughs> and so when I want to play, I'll usually go play pinball. My, okay. my son has me uh, playing Destiny 2. Oh, nice. But, oh, we but, should he, play um, <laughs> but he usually backs me up. Okay, yeah. Um, like, yeah. So, I have um, a friend like that, yeah. I, I, unbeknownst <laughs> to me, I've been healed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. And it's the, you know, he's back there. Like making, making sure, sure that, you don't die. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, my son, um, well, actually is a, he's a contract tester at Bungie. Oh, fun. Um, okay. Oh, fun. And my daughter and uh, the three of us will play that together. Oh, nice. Um, oh, that's perfect. A fire team yeah. of three. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. My kids turned me on to Danganronpa, which was super fun. So we played oh. through that together. Yeah. That's a bit, bit old school, but, um, yeah. It's, again, it's just nice to see what you do with not a lot of tech, right? That, mm -hmm. Very super engaging game. Yeah. Doesn't have scores of interactive music or complex layering or, you know, the, the dialogue is, you know, just those reused uh, phrases, but it's just just such a great game. Yeah. So, yeah. Some, yeah. Despite all this cool tech I was talking about, sometimes <laughs> you just need something that's fun. Yep. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if you're in Minneapolis anytime soon, we'll go to the pinball bar. Tilt, it's called, which is oh, fun. I would totally do time. that. Yeah, we have, the, have we have the. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say they have amazing hot dogs, which isn't something I would normally buy out, but they're really okay. Good. <laughs> I, I could do hot dogs and pinball. That would work yeah. for me. Yeah, and beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right by the art museum too. So if you're feeling like you know you want to balance your day with some pinball and some fine art you and can, some culture, then you're, uh, you're all you set there. You can do that at, at MIA, the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, well, Brian, what else do you want to talk about? I mean, before we shove off to our own day here. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's pretty most of it. Yeah. The, um, yeah. I, I just felt super lucky. Um, I feel like I've had sort of like three different careers right early on i was doing lots of composing mm -hmm. um that was pretty much all i did and then at microsoft i was sort of heavily immersed in the tech stuff with the xbox and whatnot yeah and then the last 10 years or so the has been i think mostly about community and teaching mm -hmm. and stuff so it's an industry that's uh, i've been fortunate to enough to meet a lot of really cool people and work with lots of uh, stupidly talented people who are also really really Genuinely good human beings, which so far has been pretty fun. It's a great industry. I'm glad that you're part of it and cultivating it so heavily. It's it's really meaningful to everyone in it. So so thanks for all the work that you do, Brian. Oh no, I have a I have a, I have a good time. And I'm, <laughs> again, it's it's so nice to see the Grammys this um, finally come come through. Yeah. So remind your composers tweet out Grammy submissions if they go through the Game Audio Network Guild to submit. Uh, they're due the 26th. That gives us a couple days to actually collect okay. the data and then make the submission on their behalf. We there's a fee to submit, but it's a fee that we just pass on because okay. the uh, Recording Academy charges us a certain amount to make a submission. Okay, but the deadline is coming up for sure. Right. So okay. Um, okay. Yeah, you have to. The game has the eligibility period. Yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah. The eligibility period for a game soundtrack for the Grammys is October first, twenty twenty one. Through September 30th, 2022. Okay. So if your soundtrack was released or will be released in that time period, you need to submit in the next, you know, by August 26th, 
uh, to be eligible for the Grammys. And the game should uh, ideally be released within that time as well. I think they may make a little bit of allowance. Like if the move, you know, if the game comes out in September, if the soundtrack comes in October, I think think that's okay. And again, either you can either find somebody you know who's in the recording academy, and they yeah. could submit for you. Okay. If your album was released via a record label like Lakeshore or Warner or something like that, they can probably submit it. Or if you go to the Game Audio Network Guild website, we can take all the information and we'll submit on your behalf. And again, the only thing that we require is that you had something to do with creating the soundtrack, typically the composer or the game company, you know, or or somebody authorized Mm -hmm. saying, yes, I was part of this. And yes, they know that we are submitting this for the Grammys. Okay, but the deadline is coming up, and the the more uh, the more submissions they get, the more convinced they will be that it was the right call to finally yep. add a category. Yeah, I mean, I could give them a list of, I could give them a long list already in that time frame of like, yeah. here's who you need to be listening to right now. So <laughs> right, well, make sure you you contact them and say, hey, did you submit for the Grammys yet? And by the way, here's how. Yeah, I will. I will for sure. Yeah, because that's uh, yeah. So it's, I, I should have reached out to you the moment this happened. As I'm, think, <laughs> as I'm sitting here thinking, I was like, who would have the music finger on the pulse of the game music industry the most? Like, okay, I'm I'm sitting I'll talking to her here. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll I'll be sending some emails over the next few days for sure. Yes, and yeah. if they have any questions, yeah. feel free to have them contact me. Okay. Um, I've been a, I've talked a lot with the people who put this award together, and so some people are like, oh, what's the is there some what about dlc and stuff like that so they've thought tried to think through most of those okay. they do realize that this is a new category and there may be some things they haven't thought of sure so when in doubt err on submitting i you know much better yep. to submit and be turned out uh yeah i'm sorry you weren't that eligible because that's a remake of a game that came out 20 years ago better yeah. that than to not submit and it turns out you would have been eligible yeah yeah so that's- like i said there are going to be five nominee, five Grammy nominees for best score soundtrack for video games this year. Amazing, and one winner. Yep. So don't be shy about submitting. Your music is probably awesome, and your soundtrack is probably awesome. Yep. And it can stand up to anything else anybody's done. That's right. That's right. And it's about darn time. It's like I'm so grateful this is happening finally. It's yeah, well deserved, and um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the Grammys this year. All right, Brian. Well, thank you so much all right. for all your time. It was great to talk to you as always, and I can't wait for GameSound Con. All right. Yeah, I will see you in October. Thanks for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Brian Schmidt, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of our chat with Brian Schmidt on the Level with Emily YouTube channel and do subscribe to the YouTube channel to get all of our new videos of interviews. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc., Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. 
You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.